Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. And we're back. It is August 1st. We are inching close. We're three days away from the Hall of Fame game, baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm Kevin Bowe, Chris Presley across the way, Kevin's Corner. It is an off day for the Indianapolis Colts. I think technically just a walkthrough day, but an off day from practice. They will get back on the fields at Grand Park for three straight days, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, so the perfect time to, I guess, a week one recap. I don't know if we're all the way through the first week, but we're pretty close um, of the Colts training camp. We also are going to throw in a little Chris Ballard interview Yes, at the back end of things on this podcast. So Chris, the Colts general manager, of course, joined us this morning on Kevin Query, so you'll hear myself, Kevin Bowen, and Jake Query, my co-host, in that, I think it's about a 20-minute interview that Chris Presley will toss in right before Twitter questions. So um, thank you to Chris Ballard for his time there. I think we asked a lot of questions that are on the minds of Colts fans right now. And, uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoy that. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. How was your weekend? How was uh, Colts camp? You were out there last week and this weekend. And- yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was fun, man. I, I, I love being out there. I, I you know, I know <laughs> I feel like, a, you know, media people have to uh, talk about uh, press box food and we have to complain about <laughs> you know, X amount of things. It's like part of our job requirements. I, I enjoy it. You know, I, um, you know, if you're going to tell me on most Saturday nights, like, oh, yeah, you're going to leave your family and have an activity on a Saturday night. I'd be like, oh, and yeah, sure. I'd love to be with my family, but. You get out there and it's like, whoa, 7,000 people are here. And like, as soon as you walk on the practice field, everybody's just so engaged. And I think the players love it. Uh, and it's excitement. And that's what we love about sports. And so um, just being out there it was a beautiful night. That was fun. I thought it was a much more entertaining practice than Thursday. Thursday was kind of a lull practice to me. So I thought Saturday provided a little bit more of that. And, you know, Chris, they only have one weekend practice the rest of camp. This coming Sunday is an afternoon practice at noon. Um, and that is uh, already sold out. I saw Jim Irsay mention that earlier today. So, um, you know, not a lot of times if you're working, you know, a serious nine to five and you can't get out there uh, to see the Colts. And then, I mean, it's just crazy to think a week from Saturday in Buffalo. Yeah, the the fact the that there's only the, the fact that there's only three preseason games now with right. the extended schedule. You jump right into the thick of things real quick. You do. Full pads come on tomorrow for the first time. So, yeah, at Buffalo a week from Saturday, home to the Lions, coming off those joint practices. That's the week two preseason game. And then mm-hmm. the Bucks. Um, I think it's August 27th. August 27th at 730, I believe. Look at you, Chris Presley. He's got that locked in the calendar. Um, <laughs> well, anytime Brady comes to town. Right. Certainly. I mean, he might not necessarily play in that game, but – Anytime Brady comes to town, Colts fans, our ears perk up, and, and we're ready to roll. And we'll see how much. You know, question I asked Chris Ballard, and you'll hear his answer in the interview later, is, you know, do you alter how much you play the starters in the preseason? I think that's a very relevant question. It's a topic we've discussed a lot. Um, and I think Ballard's answer, you can kind of read in between the lines. It is something they have thought about, and we'll see how that changes. I think injuries and all of that plays into it once you get closer to week one of the preseason um your weekend good my weekend was great good 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 i want to i know we're gonna shift sports here just for a second yeah i want to give a shout out to my mother oh nice she for my birthday bought me airfare 
hotel, and tickets to a Braves game. I've never been to a home Braves game. Wow. And so she is sending me down to Atlanta. I love it. And we're it's it's only going to be a one night stay, but okay. that's fine. Well, um, hey, if you I if you need housing, did she buy a hotel? We have a hotel at True like around Truist Park. Okay, so there's like a complex I was there. Yeah, say, one of my good friends lives in Cumming, Georgia, just north of Atlanta. Uh, would love to um, host you in his guest bedroom, but. Um, I love it. And now that ballpark is relatively new, correct? It was built uh I think this is I think this is I think no, years? I think this is only their third or fourth year in in that stadium. So yeah. I remember being down there for an owners meeting. This would have been when the Colts were bidding on a Super Bowl. Actually, I think it was just post Jim Mercer arrest. Um so whatever, 2014-15, I remember them saying, you know, that's where the new ballpark is mm-hmm. is going to be. So uh nice. I was down there for I've been down there for a couple owners' meetings, and I was down there when the um, Matt Hasselbeck and the Colts beat the Falcons, if I'm not mistaken. Nicole Jackson, I think, had a pick six in that game. That would have been the Georgia Dome. Right. And I went there for the Sweet 16 with Indiana and Kentucky in 2012. Uh, love it down there. And uh, nice. That'll yeah. be fun. When well, is that this year, I assume? September 17th. Boy, well, my birthday September 18th. And Matty Bone is due September 13th, so I will be watching from afar. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, you have a lot going on that yes. weekend. <laughs> so that's a Saturday. Look at that. Yeah, that's against fun. the Phillies. Love it, love it. And our Braves, uh, I say our Braves because I'm just you know mooching off you right now because our Reds <laughs> are not doing too good. Uh, they're in the mix. They are in the mix. They are um, second in the East. Mets have played substantially well. It's mm-hmm. it's awesome once you get new ownership that actually wants yeah. to spend money. Yeah, tell it to the Reds. Um, uh, so, yeah, right now I think they're plus six and a half to win the wild card. So, yeah, everything's going well. So we should be in the mix there and hopefully chasing down the Mets and trying to win the East. Well, now I want to talk golf for 37 minutes, and then we'll get into cold <laughs> okay. talk, right? Can we? Can we, can we yeah, the way, that people, the, the way that people slammed you for talking golf, <laughs> I, I'm sure people are going to slam you for talking baseball. Oh, man. All good. Well, happy birthday to you. Thank you. Um, and congrats on that. Very, very nice there by your mother in that gift. Um, okay, let's go through the first three days of training camp. And, yeah. and pretty much in chronological order, Chris, just a couple of quick highlights from each day. And then we'll get to that Ballard interview. And not a ton of Twitter questions this week, but we'll do that to round things out. Uh, Day one was indoors. I thought the first thing that just stood out was um, the timing of the passing offense was not at a day one level. It was at like a day five or six level. I felt like Matt Ryan um, was really on point with things. I thought the receivers, they had a rough seven-on-seven period to start. But then once I got into full teamwork, 11-on-11, I thought on the same page. And, you know, some of that, Chris, I think it's just a simple byproduct of a normal offseason program. Could get together with your, you know, pass catchers in the summer. The Colts haven't had that in a while. So I think that was a big, big thing. I, I mentioned it after watching Matt Ryan these first couple days. He is the older generation quarterbacks. You know, you think about Breeze, Brady, Manning, Roethlisberger, Eli Manning, Stafford mm-hmm. to a degree. Their strengths are in processing. Their strengths are in uh, rhythm, knowing where the football is going with it. It's not a lot of creative stuff with their legs. The Matt Ryan arm is not going to wow you. Is that maybe a bigger picture question to get to at some point? Sure. Uh, there's not going to be a ton of vertical stuff. He's not going to cash a bunch of checks that other quarterbacks can't. You know, that that's just not his game. 
but what can he do pre-snap? Can he eliminate reads? Those sorts of things. That's what I noticed from a timing standpoint. Um, certainly Nick Cross had the play, probably the play at camp so far. It was the second seven-on-seven seven play of the entire camp. And it, when I watched the play unfold, and I, I've noticed this a little bit with the defense, that the, they do do a little bit more pre-snap disguising, which I'm like, which I like. But Nick Cross is playing as like a box safety pretty much, which you're going to see. If you go out to Colts camp, you're going to see a lot of that. And then all of a sudden, right, the snap, he kind of jets back. So now he's playing like where you would think a normal safety would line up. And he could tell he's got Mo Ali Cox. And as soon as Ali Cox puts foot in the ground to turn around for a comeback route, Nick Cross jumps it, and that athleticism is on display. He does a great job of going over the top of Mo Ali, but kind of doing it from the side getting his hand on the ball to bat it away and then just makes an unbelievable athletic move to you know kind of contort his body sideways and haul in the interception. Do it, you think I, I sorry to interject here. No. Um I remember what 4 or 5 years I guess 5 years ago when you and Joey started the podcast and you guys first went out to training camp. Darius Leonard was a rookie. Yes. And Darius oh, yeah. Leonard made an interception. I feel, and I'm not trying to project on Nick Cross, but the same sort of uh, mentality was there for him. Do you agree with that? You know, um, I guess I'll throw in a little bit of caveat about training camp, Chris, that I want everyone to make sure that they acknowledge whenever I talk about training camp. Of You can look at training camp glass half full, you can look at it glass half empty. I've got people tweeting at me about, I'm disappointed in that play because Matt Ryan shouldn't have thrown it into coverage and Mo Alley Cox should have made a better attempt on the ball. So you can look at it in the glass half empty approach there or the glass half full approach of, wow, Nick Cross made a really nice play. And wow, for a rookie on a second play of camp, a la Darius Leonard against Andrew Luck with Eric Swope as the intended target, you know, five years ago, that was a play that was like, holy sh-, you know, right. Luck wasn't used to linebackers looking like that. So, again, I want everyone to have that line of thinking, no matter how you choose to talk about it. Ben Banigou roasting Sam Tevy last year didn't really mean a whole lot. So I'll try to interject if, if I think it means something or if I don't, if, if it is super encouraging, super discouraging, whichever route you want to go. The cross play, to me, that is super encouraging because, again, it's a guy that shows the diagnosing pre-snap and then the ability – to read Matt Ryan, read Allie Cox, make a break on that ball, and then his freak athleticism shows out. Um, and it's a guy taking advantage of Rodney McLeod still working back to full health and trying to secure a starting job next to Julian Blackman. So, um, again, is he going to be the next Darius Leonard? That'd be idiotic for me to sit here and act like he is going to be that. But it's a super encouraging sign from him. Um, again, creative ways to find Naheem Hines the ball. I could say that um, numerous times. And I know I've reiterated this before, Chris, but I just want to make sure everyone is on the same page here. Naeem Hines, as much as people in the Colts want to point to Carson Wentz n- neglecting Naeem Hines, the Colts did not play him a lot late in the season. If you look at his snap counts, it deteriorated big time. Here are the amount of touches Naeem Hines got in the final eight games of the season, Chris. So these are... Receptions and carries. Okay. Combination of those. Six, 
four four six one four six two. You know, it, it, he's got to be in the eight to twelve range every single game moving forward. Um, and again, when you're out there at Colts practice, you're going to see daily a creative way for Naheem Hines to touch the ball. Uh, Shaquille Leonard, I guess that was the big news of day one. Um, yeah, that's about it for day one. Day two, they go outside. And I thought it was a really quiet day, which, you know, quiet means good in training camp. You know, think about it. Right now, if we were doing a podcast on August 1st, 2021, Chris, we would have talked about Frank Reich has not seen his team practice because of COVID. He had that positive COVID test on, yep. on report day. Uh, Carson Wentz has broken his foot, and we will never see him practice again in Grand Park. And Quentin Nelson has broken his foot, and we will never see him practice again mm-hmm. in 2021 training camp. Right now, Moali Cox has tweaked the knee, but you know that's about it. So, uh, And one of your star players has changed their names. Good thing first names don't appear on the back of jersey. So I guess you're good on that front. <laughs> um, eight and nine day for Matt Ryan. I thought Moali Cox had a very Jack Doyle-like day. He had three catches. That day, and this is when Frank Reich started to talk about the quicker tempo that Matt Ryan is utilizing in between plays, getting to the line of scrimmage. He wants to dictate. He wants to have a mentality of this offense. My takeaway from that is this: Does that mean more no huddle? How I look at this offense right now, Chris, I don't think they have enough talent at wide receiver and tight end to compete with some of the upper echelon wide receiver and tight end groups in the league. So, how do you combat that? Right. Where do you create advantages in other ways? Can no huddle with an extremely intelligent quarterback be one of those ways? You're banking on Matt Ryan, Frank Reich intelligence to make up for what you lack at wide receiver tight end skill. Um, we'll see if it can, but that that's pretty much what you've said in this offseason there. Um, I'd have to look. Did, did Matt Ryan, did they, they run a lot of no huddle in Atlanta? I would have to look that up as well. <laughs> Um, again, I'm not going to act like I'm sitting there locked in on a Falcons <coughs> Carolina Panthers one o'clock game. Um, <laughs> but I, I do, you know, I felt like Reich has dabbled with it okay. a little bit. I, I, I thought he should have maybe a little bit, of, a little bit more, especially with Rivers. Cause I think with Rivers, you had the same sort of restrictions, particularly quarterback wise, just vertically down the field. Um, but when you hear this stuff from guys like, Matt Pryor, the left tackle. He literally forces you to do it. You ain't got no choice. You either give in or you get out mm-hmm. about getting a line of scrimmage. We're here locally in the state of Indiana. One of the popular top topics on our radio station is Indiana University basketball. For those that don't know, they just made a coaching change within the last, you know, whatever, 16 months of going from Archie Miller, who had no real affiliation with the program, was kind of your hot, you know, up-and-coming coach, whatever you want to call it, Leaves Dayton, comes to Indiana, bows out after four years, doesn't do anything of substance. They bring in an ex-player, Mike Mike Woodson, NBA you know coach. Right, uh, people probably recognize that that name. I think the Carson Wentz to Matt Ryan thing is a little bit like Archie Miller to Mike Woodson, in that Mike Woodson gets hired. He's an ex-player that put on that uniform, so guys I think in that locker room immediately have a gravitation towards him. And then Carmelo Anthony's sitting here saying he's the best coach I've ever had. Yeah, And Melo's track record in the NBA is well-documented. I think to, from Carson Wentz to Matt Ryan, when Matt Ryan's like, guys, we need to do this, there's less rolling of eyes. There's a little bit more of the initial amount of respect for him. Um, 
And I know that sounds like a shot at Carson Wentz, and I guess it is a shot, but I just think that's human instinct of how, again, Carson Wentz's exit was from Philly versus how Matt Ryan's exit was from Atlanta. Uh, The other thing I noticed on day two, and I guess going into day three of the night practice, I'll talk about Paris Campbell here. Chris, we obviously have not seen Campbell much in the NFL games. Uh, 15 games. He only has 360 receiving yards in those 15 games. It's not even like he's done a ton in the games. Obviously, there's little flashes that you see. At Grand Park, you see him every day. You watch positional drills. So you are getting a, I mean, unbelievable amount of time and seeing him operate. And, you know, for the most part, he's been pretty healthy in his training camps. He yes. just gets hurt in games. Right, right. Um, and every time I watch Campbell, I think to myself, wow, he is really unique. And he is, he brings a skill set that the Colts don't really have. You know, when you watch Michael Pittman and then you watch Alec Pierce and then you watch Desmond Patman, in a way, they have similar sort of traits athletically. Now, they're obviously not, but you know what I'm getting at of like their body type certainly is a yeah, thing that, that they're a go get they're a, a high ball go get sure. receiver apex. Sure. Campbell, it's just he just looks different. I mean, I I, I don't know, does Kiki Kuti similar? Is to Michael Harris similar? I, I'll probably stretch in there. Campbell's just different. And you're just reminded how important he is to all of this. The other thing, wideout related from Saturday night, Chris, go back, boy. If if I I probably should have put in more time to this podcast, but um, I did not. Um, if you go back, I'd say May ish. Either I posed the question or we got this question on Twitter. I I, I kind of forget, but I said something to the effect of, "All right, which wide receiver?" will finish second on the team in catches. Michael Pittman will be the number one wideout. Mm-hmm. Who finishes second on the team in catches uh, at the wide receiver position? You know, I think we expect Naeem Hines yeah, or Wally Cox gonna, yeah. or Jonathan Taylor, you know, to be in the mix there. And the name that I would have thought about betting on would be Ashton Doolin. And he, he made a great catch the other day. A great catch because if Paris Campbell's going to be hurt, and Alec Pierce is going to look like a wideout, or excuse me, look like a rookie, you know, somebody's got to rise to the occasion. Such a good catch that Jim Irsay retweeted it. I did see that from the owner. And that was an 11-on-11 video. I was like, Jim, boy, I do not Do you want that out there for everyone to see? I was told that you can't <laughs> uh, send those videos out. Granted, when you are uh, when you write the checks, you do what you want. Um, They really like Doolin. Frank, you're going to hear Chris Bauer talk about it here in a little bit. You heard Frank Reich Saturday night. Um. And, you know, it makes sense to this degree, Chris. Clearly. I mean, the Colts are not – I disagree with their approach at wideout, but the Colts are not stupid. They clearly have sat in those meetings and thought, we feel like somebody is going to take a big jump on this roster. And they think that is Ashton Doolin, among others, at the wide receiver spot. So, um, yeah, I, he's a guy that I think if you're making a wideout depth chart right now, it would be Pittman. Then you're 2-3, you can probably sandwich together. Pierce or Campbell, and then I put Doolin at four. The Mike Strawn injury, of course, is really hurting him Mm -hmm. right now. Um, I thought Alec Pierce showed an ability to beat some press coverage, which was good to see. Isaiah Rogers, always around the football. That's something I noticed on Saturday night as well. 
Uh, and then the Mo Alley Cox tweaking of the knee. Our most indispensable cult list. I know. We, I think we just did five on the show or on this podcast. We did ten on our on our radio show. I had him ten on my list. Um, again, just tweak doesn't sound like a serious knee injury. But anytime one of those guys goes down for a brief period, you're just reminded, Chris, of Mo'Ally Cox is not one of the 10, 15 best players on this football team. But, again, he looks to, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. be one of the more important guys that you need considering the youth that you have at tight end. And remind our listeners, obviously, on podcasts, this isn't live. Um, Do you know what days you're going to be out at Grand Park? Uh, I'm there every day, baby. Yep, yep, yep. Um, show wise, were you asking show wise or just me? Personally? Show wise or personally? Because I've had people say, "Hey, are you and KB out here today?" Yep. And yeah, I'm out there every day. So yeah, just just yell down to me. We we we, we can chat. I, I enjoy chatting with you know. I, hell, I feel like we're talking to a handful of people every day. Just hey, listen to the podcast. Really enjoy it, and I I love just you know talking with people and putting faces with names and. Because uh, I, I love to hear from fans, you know, what are you guys interested in? Why are you out here? You know, things like that. Um, as far as the show is concerned, I think we might be up there for the last day of camp. Okay. But just with practice time starting at noon, there's really no point in us being out there uh, for those morning, um, for our morning show, 7 to 10 a.m., which would be uh, way too early for a noon, you know, <laughs> noon practice. So, um, so yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but that's it. That's about it, man. You know, we're three practices in. Again, no full pads yet. Uh, so truer evaluations will come. I posted something on the website uh, earlier today on the camp position battles and just kind of an update on those. So feel free to check that out up on our website. Anything else from you, Chris, that maybe I've missed that you've seen tweet floated around? Or should we get to the Ballard? No, let's uh, let's go ahead. Like you said, full pads, which Chris Ballard is, is about to talk to you guys about as Kevin and Query interview him on this podcast. So let's go ahead and jump into that interview right now. I believe Chris Bauer is calling us now. God, these guys, Jake. Is that lightning or is that the phone line lighting up? Uh, that was lightning. So, yeah, some thunderstorms in the Indianapolis area. Again, no Colts practice today and fresh out of a meeting at Grand Park right now. Head into his sixth year as general manager of the Indianapolis Colts. Chris Ballard is on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. How are y'all? So, was that meeting about adding a veteran wideout? Had it, I mean, it, I mean, we're not five seconds into the, <laughs> we're not five seconds into the interview. We're, we're talking about wideouts. Kevin, you would have. I mean, we would have 53 of them <laughs> if, you, if it was up to you. Well, I mean, well, let's be honest. If you had 53 Michael Michael Pittmans, it'd be a pretty good football team. I was saying that last no, week. Right. Pittman could go play <laughs> linebacker for you. That's good. Chris, what is – let's begin with this. As you get set and you are watching over, I was asking Kevin this, and I want your your thought on this. As a general manager of an NFL team, when you are watching practice in training camp, aside from the quarterback position, we're going to take that one off the table for you as an answer. What position or unit is the most difficult to tell and how it translates between how guys look in a practice situation and how they look on in Sunday games? For you personally, what has been the hardest position to evaluate? Well... All right, so when you don't have pads on, so we haven't had any 
you know, we had pads on since last season. It's always the O-line, D-line with no pads on. I mean, this game's played in pads, and, you know, the more padded practices we get to see guys, the – they start to really differentiate themselves between each other with the pads on. So with no pads, the O-line, D-line. When we get the pads on, I mean, I'll still say this, that, and you've taken quarterback out of the equation, running back and wide out, because there's no threat of getting hit during practice, really. So until we get in game situations, those two positions – you know, they're pretty much unscathed and untouched until we get into a real live game situation. And what happens, like wide out, and I and it's and it's been interesting to see the how young kids have been able to come into our league and play faster in the past. That wasn't always the case. And and there's always an exception where two or three guys will have just monster, monster years as young players. But the adjustments of coverage, the physicality of the coverage you know, all that's an adjustment for a wide out, and it ramps up even more on game day. So those those are the positions I think are the are the hardest until we really get in game situations. He's the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts. Chris Bauer is with us here on Kevin and Query. Chris, last week I asked you about um, position battles that you were keeping an eye on in camp. You mentioned left tackle and safety, two of those starting battles. Um, your early thoughts on those two, knowing full well that full pads have not been put on yet, in particular at left tackle. Yeah, until we get the pads on the O-line, I'll, I'll refrain from. Um, but safety's been, you know, you can see things because we're, you know, the movement. And so, Black, I mean, uh, Blackman's come back really strong. You know, we'll continue to monitor some of his reps, but he, he looks really good. Uh, Nick Cross, who, man, you know, we think very highly of Nick. You know, he's got to, we got to see him in live situations, but so far so good. Rodney McLeod's been a great addition. All right, and then behind him, we've got a bunch of guys that are all pretty good football players, you know, with Watts and Redmond who have played a lot of football and then some, some rookies in Thomas and Denbo. So the battle out for that fourth and, you know, who are the starters first? You know, who are the first two? And then who is four and five and six is going to really play itself out as we, you know, as we go move forward here? Chris, we were just talking about the fact. Chris Ballard's our guest on the Payless Liquors guest line. Kevin and I were just talking about the fact. So I'm taking a college class right now, right? And I have this one assignment that everything's gone well. And for whatever reason, this one assignment's like this mental hurdle to me. Like I just can't get my my hand my, my head around it. What is your assignment with this team that is your mental hurdle that is keeping you awake that you just is the one area you just don't feel like you have a grasp on yet? I don't know. I mean, I'm always, to me, it's always, I mean, like, we're obsessed with depth and making sure we have enough depth. And I don't ever feel good. I mean, I just don't. I mean, that's why you'll see so many transactions, you know, during the season even. And finding, and it's not just finding 53 players. It's finding another 16 on the on the practice squad that, when when injuries do happen, you can go to one of those guys. So that that keeps me up at night, making sure we have enough depth. And and when it really starts to you know rear its ugly head, you want to have a hold the fort player. Look, you're not you're not you're never going to replace a 
an all-pro player at that point when he when something happens. But you want to be able to have a hold-the-floor player that you can win with. And that's something that, that keeps me up. Chris, I, I do have to ask just, um, you know, full well, I got to ask another wide-out question. Um, last week you mentioned you guys were still having some discussions on potentially adding a veteran. Uh, a week later, are you having more discussions, less discussions? Where does that stand? I think we'll get through this week, and then we'll assess where we're at. We like what we've seen so far, but, you know, it's still so early. You know, we got to let this thing play out a little bit. And the veteran players, you know, we would add, you know, they – I mean, they've been playing a long time, and they know how to play the game. And, and so I don't, I don't see it as much as a – transition and sometimes like you sometimes you want to you got to look for like maybe the help that you're really going to need week five six seven and eight it's a long season so I don't ever always look at it this way so the first four weeks of the season we're trying to like you're trying to go out and win every game you can but you're also trying to figure out okay who are we you know who are we as a team and what what do we do really good and then where are the areas that we have some deficiencies at? And once you figure that out, that's how you're going to play. Getting into October, you know, in September, you can start plugging some of those holes that you have if you have any. And then in October, really refining it and playing to the strengths of your team. So when you get into November, December, and January, you're playing good, you know, you're playing good football and you're playing to your strengths. Back in February, you mentioned um... – and I'm paraphrasing a bit here, we can't act like, you know, Paris is our number two or number three on the depth chart. I, I think you would probably agree right now Paris would be that, um, given the nature of your depth chart. What happened this offseason to where, as you guys unfolded, that it ended up being Paris is still your number two or number three entering the season? Well, I mean, I don't know if we can say that yet. Paris has had a good start, but so is so is Pierce and so is Doolin. Um, Patman's done some good things. You know, when, when Strawn got hurt late in camp and not being able to get these reps, you know, that adjusted some things. Um, but we're still, we still got a long way to go here. Paris has had a great start, and I'm proud of him and happy for him, you know, because he's worked so hard, and he's, and he's a very talented young man. Um, but I think we got to let this thing play out. I mean, one of the guys that, like doing, like we just kind of gloss over doing sometimes, and you know all he does is every time he gets an opportunity he produces. So it'll be interesting to see these guys battle it out of here over the next month. Do you believe T.Y. Hilton will play a game still in his career for the Indianapolis Colts? That's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a direct one. I think everybody knows my feelings for T.Y. and I do think he could still be a contributor in this league and and uh we'll work through that one you know the one thing chris that i have not heard and that is we have all fans and media alike speculated that from the standpoint of chris ballard but i have yet to really hear anybody try to figure out the standpoint of ty hilton do you believe that if you were interested in T.Y. Hilton coming back, that he would immediately jump at that? Or is that a conversation that would have to take place? No, that, that's a conversation that has to take place. And I have great respect for him and care for T.Y. Um, and, 
he's just a true professional. And then to watch his growth, you know, as a from 17 to, you know, the last year was just really fun to watch. He's a leader. Um, but that's a discussion that would have to happen. Has it in any way, you know, like from an exploratory standpoint, started to take place? See, that's another loaded question. So you just keep leading me down this road here. <laughs> I think I answered a while ago. We're going to let it play out a week, and then we'll we'll start making some decisions. When it comes to Ashton Doolin, the thing about him to me that's intriguing, I agree with you. I mean, like each time – He's one of those guys that just kind of doesn't go away, right? I mean, you say to yourself, you're like, man, this guy might have a place here. So have you seen something in him, Chris? In other words, when you first when Ashton Doolin first was getting reps, did you foresee that there was more out of him and therefore you were patient with him? Or has he pleasantly surprised you to the point where you're like, you know what, this exceeds what I thought from him, so let's ride this out and see what we have in him. Does that make sense what well, I'm asking? Uh, yeah, no, he – Look, we saw explosiveness on tape when he was coming out of college, even at Malone, you know, at Malone where he played. And early in camp, it, you know, it was a big jump in competition for him, but the flashes were really strong early. I'll never forget, like, when we released him the first, the first year and put him on the practice squad, I mean, I was holding my breath that and nobody else saw the explosiveness that we saw on tape and claimed him, you know, and then when we moved him up, he was an automatic contributor on special teams, which is always a bright sign for a young player when they can, when they can hold up on teams. And then, you know, he's just kind of grown into his role. We knew he's very talented. You know, sometimes it just, it just takes time. He's Chris Bauer, general manager of the Indianapolis Colts, and he's with the here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Chris, I know you had uh, talked about moving the start times a little bit closer to kind of 1 o'clock kickoffs to try and replicate a little bit of body clocks once the season gets here. Anything else, um, week one specific, start to a season specific that you guys have changed here in camp? Will you play your starters more in the preseason because of the slow starts? Um, Anything along those lines? Yeah, now Frank and I have had those discussions, and as we go along here, depending on the work we get and work we think we still need to get, we'll we'll assess that as we go along. Um, and you know, it is because we have. I mean, like it's you know, it's interesting because we've had so, so many struggles in that week one game, and um, and then even early in the season. So racking our brains trying to make sure we get a fast start, which is really important. You know, just on based on our schedule this year. Um, so we're working at it. We're working at making sure that, you know, there's a balance between getting enough work and then being, you know, not overworking them to where, you know, they're, they're dead. And, you know, that's something we're trying to figure out, you know, as we go along here. And then we'll make an assessment and, and play the guys. But guys will get play time in the preseason. Um, to how much, I don't know yet. We'll work through that. I know the AFC South drought spans before you arrived here, but with that drought and just how last season ended, do you feel that you and or Frank, I guess, are on any sort of hot seat entering this season? Um, I never worry about that, Kev. I mean, we just like, you know, we just like if if you start worrying about that, you, you, you can't do your job, you know, so we just, we think we've had some really good football teams. We've done some good things here under some pretty tough 
circumstances, and I give that's why I give Frank a lot of credit. You know, he's had a different quarterback every year, and we've stayed relevant. Um, have we have we won at the rate we think we should have won at? No. But we were a good football team last year. I think you know by the mood I was. We were all in at the end of the year. You know, you're nine and six, and you've already beaten you know a few playoff teams along the way in Buffalo and New England and Arizona, and then you melt down at the end. I mean, they all count. So finishing and playing more consistently through the season um, is important. And and but we, I promise you, there's no more pressure that we put on ourselves. We don't we don't feel the Mine's more of a lack. Mine is my pressure comes. I feel like I'm letting you know the city and the organization down when we don't get the job done. It's never one that I worry about my job. I mean, I've got a degree, Kevin. I can get enough. I mean, I can go do something else. Hey, I mean, I love what I do, but you know, I can go get another one. Do you know do how to do? I can do something. I was gonna say, Jake, Jake needs help with his. Yeah, school do you know work. how to do slide presentations on a Google Doc, Chris? Because I, that's a challenge. That that is my I can, NFL absolutely. depth. Absolutely, and that I could charge you fifteen bucks an hour for that. <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> Listen, I'll send my stuff over. Trust me. Hey, um, I had a tight end question, but first I wanted to ask you this, Chris Ballard, Deshaun Watson, six game suspension. Your reaction? Uh, none. I mean, he's not on our team, and I'm not on the. I'm not in the. I'm not in the league office, so really none. Do you guys, when when other players have disciplinary issues, do you ever use that as discussion within your roster and your players? We talk a lot. I mean, and David Thornton does a tremendous job for us, and we spend a lot of time educating our players on, you know, how we act and you know the expectation and the standard of who we are organizationally. Doesn't mean they're not going to make mistakes. That's going to happen. These are these are young men, you know. But we do our best to educate them and be proactive with everything we do. Chris, Frank has spoken pretty highly of the tempo that Matt Ryan has wanted to practice at, and I guess you guys have practiced at here through the first couple of days. To kind of the average fan, where do you think they will see the strengths of Matt Ryan this season? Well, it doesn't take long because he's – one, he's got a good presence about him and confidence, which I think all good – quarterbacks have there's just a innate confidence that no matter what's going on we're going to find a way to get it done and the the decision making and the how fast his mind works to get the ball where it needs to go um is one thing i think they'll notice and that's the one thing about the offense and that's always been frank's offense you know get the ball out of your hands Get the hands, get the ball in the hands of, you know, your playmakers, and that's where the, like the one-two receiver, like they're going to spread the ball around. That's the, you know, that Matt made the comment to me. He goes, "Nice, because you know, in this offense, we're going to have a multitude of players that catch balls, because it's, it's, I'm going to throw it to who's open, and we're the dictate, the defense dictates me to throw the football. So I think that's, that's things you're going to see." Um, and then from a leadership standpoint, just who he is and what he stands for. And um, it, it's been fun to be around. You know, one of the guys, Chris, Chris Ballard is our guest. One of the guys that was so popular here for a number of reasons, I don't have to listen for you, you are aware, was Jack Doyle at the tight end position. 
But I think from a football standpoint, you know, he was such a, a totality at tight end because he could get you key catches when you needed it. He was not afraid to surrender his body and block. He just he was like the the definition of like a Fisher Price piece of a tight end, right? Yes. What tight end in your tight end room right now most closely resembles the totality of what you would want from a tight end? Not what not what you hope they grow into, but where they are right now on August first. Well, look, let's start with Jack because you nailed it. I mean, I told Frank two years ago. I said, look, when this guy, when Jack finishes, he is going to be a hard guy to replace because he does everything right. And I don't know if he was underappreciated through the league, but he wasn't underappreciated in our building for what he did. He, I still think he was the best blocking tight end in the league. And that's, that's hard to find. Like, it is really hard to find. And then to say we're going to replace everything he did with one player, I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen. I would tell you right now, Mo is probably the closest. Um, but the skill sets of Mo, Woods, Granson, and Ogletree, those four, um, plus we have another young kid by the name of Jacobson, Michael Jacobson on the back. Yeah, Iowa State. A year ago. Um, between those guys, we think we can – we think we're going to have a really strong – group as they grow and develop together but mo would be the one right now that could do all of it chris ballard is our guest chris i want to go back real quick to and i hate to belabor the point here but i think the thought process from a lot of people is that to use kevin's phrase the veteran wideout and just the importance of having a guy like that in the room for young players is that offset by having Reggie Wayne as a coach? Does that alleviate the need for a guy between the lines that is a veteran? I think it helps. There's no question it helps. Reg, Reg was real, Reggie's really smart, um, knows, how, knows how to play the game, and, know, and played it at such a high level. So he's able to give these guys you know, the, some things that he might not – you know, they might not get on their own, you know, just because of his experience. And then, like, Pittman's a third-year player. He's not a, you know, a seven, eight-year grizzled, you know, veteran, but Pitt's played a lot of games and it's got a lot of experience. So that's that's good. But Reg, Reg helps that offset a little bit of that. Chris, any um, Shaquille Leonard update? You expect him to practice at Grand Park at all? I don't know yet. We won't rush it. I mean, when he's ready, he's ready. He's doing good. Um, he's in a good spot mentally, and he's working his tail off to get back. So when he's back, you know, he'll be back. And then I probably know the answer on this, but I'll ask anyways. Do you uh, expect a Quentin Nelson contract extension before week one? Um, we'll see. We'll, we'll work through it. I know we like him, and <laughs> we'd like to keep him here. Um, so we'll work through it. Is left tackle a competition right now, or is that pretty much Pryor's job to lose and then Ryman will get some opportunity to use your word at depth? Yeah, it's a no, it's a competition. It's an open competition and, and Ryman will get Ryman will get his fair assessment you know, amount of reps to so we can assess where he's at. He's a really talented player, but so is so is Matt. I mean Matt 
when he played for us last year, man, he played good. And every time he played, he's such a big body. He's a, for being such a big body, he's a good athlete. He's got really good punch and strength. Um, he's had a great start to camp. He's got himself in really good shape. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And at the end of the day, we'll try to get the best five, you know, on the field with six, seven, eight, nine, and ten being important pieces for the season. You know, on a positive wideout note, I, I thought Alec Pierce breaking press coverage or beating press coverage looked pretty easy to him Saturday night. Yeah, he's getting better. He's got a ways to go, but he's getting better. Um, and, you know, he just, he's just got to get used to the physicality, you know, of, of, of how and the aggressiveness that they play you at this level and that every ball is usually contested. You know, it's, you don't usually get many layups. Chris, if you had your choice between an unlimited supply of healthy players at a position and you had to pick one, would you rather it be offensive line or defensive backs? Uh, D-line, they're hard, you know, they're hard to find. You know, they're hard to find, especially when you get into the season. You know, we've had some success doing it. You know, we, we claim Muhammad, uh, which ended up being a really good, good claim for us one year, but it's hard to it's hard to find bigs that can run and move, you know, during the season. You know that was like the most Freudian answer because I offered you O line and corner and you went with D line, so that says a lot, right there. I mean, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> hey, um, tell you, well, really, if you'd have gave me the quarterback position, that would have been listed one. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, Full pads tomorrow, Chris. Full pads. We're, we're, we're cranking it up. Chris, a lot of people in conclusion, a lot of people ask this. This is like the most common question when you do – like the most common question for you probably, especially if Kevin's asking you, is about wide receiver, right? Mm -hmm, the most common question that we get is, what is the, the bar of a successful season for the Colts? Now, for you, Chris Ballard, I understand and respect that winning the Super Bowl is the goal every year. I get that. That being said, if you were to to draw the line in the sand as to what you, Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts, consider no less than to be a success for this season, it would be to accomplish what? To have a great practice tomorrow in our first full padded practice. Which would lead that's you to which would lead I'm you to a record about. that you I would mean, aspire to be what? I mean, you even look, the good thing about that loaded one, like you built it up. It was pretty awesome. Like that was pretty awesome that you loaded it up. But I don't, like, I, like we got to get better. You got to improve your team. And if you're look, if I'm trying to gauge how many wins we're going to have right now, then we're losing sight of what really works in this league. And that's it. That's you better get ready for today and be the best. But we better have the best. Well, we getting today. better from a year ago would mean making the playoffs. Is that sufficient, or do you need to win a playoff game? We are just worried about today, man. That's it. That's all I'm worried about. Year six for Chris Bauer as general manager. The Colts get back to practice tomorrow morning. The full pads will be on for the first time here in the 2022 training camp. Chris, appreciate the time this morning, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. All right, guys. Thank you all. Chris Ballard right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. We'll recap that, sneak in a pop quiz to close things out. Kevin, love what I heard from Chris. A lot of loaded questions, as he mentioned. <laughs> um, 
but what, what was your big takeaway from I mean we have wide receiver we have a lot of talk about about certain position groups um what was your favorite part of that interview with Chris and and thank you Chris for sitting down with sure. Kevin and Query yeah um you know you can go a lot of different directions there with how how that went um I guess wide out wise you know I thought the T.Y. Hilton answer of like you know, it's not just a done deal that T.Y. wants to play. You know, that's kind of the vibe that I got. Is there any contractual, you know, implications with that as well? Does seeing Julio get $6 million and, you know, potentially upwards of 8 does that impact things? Again, the Ashton Doolin love is something that we talked about. You know, obviously at the end there, Chris clearly did not want to state any sort of team goals for this season. And I asked him the, the hot seat question earlier. One thing that I would push back on, you know, when Chris gave the answer and said, like, you know, we've had a different quarterback each year and the challenges that come with that. Certainly there are challenges that come with that when you have a different quarterback each year. And Luck put this team in a horrific situation in 2019 when you had to throw Jacoby into the fire and and there was nothing else you could do. But 2020, 2021, and 2022, they all had a full offseason to make a choice at quarterback. They elected to go with Phillip Rivers, and I had someone tweet at me. Well, they thought Rivers, they expected two seasons, didn't plan on one year. He was 40 freaking years old or however old he was. That's the nature of when you get those guys. You just, you never know what's going to happen. Obviously, Wentz was a misevaluation, and now here you've gone Band-Aid um, again with Ryan. So as much as that, that as difficult, I, I am a believer as well that you've chosen to go down that path. You you could have gone more all in on a young quarterback and having some staying power and some consistency at that quarterback position. Um, and I, I understand Jake's line of questioning there at, at the end um, and just what are the expectations. You know, I think it was um, a listener by the name of Roar tweeted us at the show, Chris, and said, what would Jim Mercer think of you win the division – you, I think you win win the division and you win a playoff game. So you get to the divisional round of the playoffs, I assume, and then bow out. I think that would be a successful season to Jim Irsay. And I just think that's such a necessary step. Rick Venturi and I were talking about this at practice the other day. He goes, you're spot on in saying that this team needs to experience the postseason. I mean, that Buffalo game had 5,000 fans, 7,000 right. fans in there. I mean, a lot of these guys have not felt what that football is like. He said, and I'm trying to think of who the former coach was. I don't want to guess on the former coach because I don't want to put words in this coach's mouth. Understandable. But Venturi basically said that he had a, a former coaching colleague that said the NFL season can be split up into four different segments. You've got preseason football, like in terms of intensity. Right. Preseason regular season, December football, playoff football. Okay. So even when you get to the end of the December, that feels different. And then obviously once you get to the postseason, that feels different. And I think that's what this you know franchise has got to experience. Because, again, when you look at last year, and that's what I said to Chris and how last year ended, how last year ended was seven Pro Bowlers, the most in the league. And if you look at the AFC South, because – it is a joke of a division when you compare it to the rest of the AFC. Right. Um, and I mentioned this earlier, Chris, on our show. Think about this for a second. You had four heralded wide receivers in that 2019 draft class this year have contract issues that became very public. The four being 
A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Debo Samuel, and Terry McLaurin. Only one is no longer playing for their football team. And that one is an AFC South guy and A.J. Brown, no longer here. So Seattle figured out D.K. Metcalf. San Francisco figured out Debo Samuel. Washington figured out Terry McLaurin. Cathedral zone. And yet, yet the beauty of the AFC South, the one guy in this division, is gone. Um, this division won 28 games last year as a whole. You add up the four teams, 28 wins. Okay. You look at, I think the AFC North, I want to say, had 35. I think the AFC East had 34. And the AFC West, I think, had 38. So clearly the worst division. In the AFC, 38, 35, 34, 28. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to start taking advantage of that, of the gift of playing six games against those teams and not having um, just as, as talented of other teams in your division there. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there, yeah, so there's six wins basically on, I wouldn't say a platter, but. Right. Obviously, Tennessee has not been on a platter for this franchise, but. You would think the ability to get four to five wins should be there on an right. annual basis, and it hasn't been. Obviously, the Jacksonville issues speak for itself down there. Um, and, and we, g- we got to turn that around because, and not to take shots at Jacksonville or obviously Tennessee's no, turned things around and, and Houston. You used to look at those games, and it was a check mark. Right. Are those cities looking at us, other, other uh, cities – on podcasts and ESPN radio shows, looking now at the the horseshoe and saying that's a check mark. You don't want that check mark. Yeah, they feel that they could pull it off. You know, and, and I think something that we have to remember it might be hard in this market, Chris, because the Colts have never really been in a position where they've had the young quarterback that like maybe, you know, Luck and Manning were like they will be. You know, they right. they, they haven't had the maybes. You know, if you look right now. At the AFC, and I've mentioned this before, 13 of the 16 teams I think have a legit chance, mm-hmm. legit chance to make the playoffs. Yep. The three teams that I would not slot in there, the Jets, the Jags, and the Texans. The Jets and the Jags have the number one and two overall picks from last season. Is there a Joe Burrow in either of those buildings? What if there's like a little bit of a Joe Burrow jump? Maybe not full Joe Burrow. But what if Trevor Lawrence finally starts looking like a little number one QB? Especially with ETN coming back. Like, sure. You never know. You know. What if Zach Wilson takes a jump? Again, I, it's a little bit of hypothetical here, um, but we aren't even factoring in, you know, those. I, it's just the AFC is just a freaking juggernaut. And if you look at the Texans, there are some people around the NFL that are really high on Davis Mills. I'm not one of those, but we'll see how that obviously evolves. I still think the Texans uh, roster is a joke, uh, but we'll see. Um it's a loaded AFC, um, and I'll be very curious to see how things play out. Yeah, wide receiver related, and again, I hope you guys enjoyed the Chris Ballard interview. Yeah, and thank you for Mr. Ballard for jumping on the interview with Kevin and Query earlier. Kevin, let's go ahead and jump to Twitter questions. Yeah, let's let's do it, man. First one comes from Jay. Says he noticed that on Saturday's practice, Drew Ogletree, the tight end, started and played with the first team. Are Frank Reich and Marcus Brady trying to put him in more of a Jack Doyle role? Doyle role, sorry. And if so, 
How do you think he's fitting into that position? You know, I would say I've noticed a good amount of rotation, Chris, at the tight end group with Kylan Grants and Jelani Woods as well. Drew Ogletree is a guy that I I think I've found myself kind of nodding my head a few times at him. Like, okay, that's pretty good from a guy that, you know, is making a jump in competition and mm-hmm. still is not – you know, exactly been fully groomed to be a tight end. And we'll see about Mo Ali Cox's injury situation. My thing is this, Chris, who holds up in line? Who can put their hand on the ground and block? Yeah. Is it Granson? I don't know. You know, he's a lot different body type than Ogletree. Is it Ogletree? Um, you know, because I think what you'll miss, and I mentioned this with Michael Pittman as the number one most indispensable Colt, Chris, what you miss in Zach Pascal and Jack Doyle is, you watched some of those Jonathan Taylor runs last year that went from 7 to 27? Yep. 84, and what's Pascal? 14? 14, 14. yep. Those guys making a big block on the edge, those are big. And, again, for an offense that you've got to make up for some of what you lack at wide out and tight end, that's important. So who does that at tight end? I'll be keeping my eye on But so far, uh, that group in general ha- has caught the ball better than it did in the spring. I'm going to give a little side question here. So – if you're Jonathan Taylor, so I'm getting the ball in the backfield with 14 and eight uh, and Doyle not being there anymore. Mm-hmm. Does he see things a certain way? Does he go to Frank Reich? Does he go to Marcus Brady and say, "Hey, I like the way that this guy blocks for me"? Yeah, I, I, I think. I don't know if Jonathan Taylor's personality, frankly, is him seeking that out, but I think they're they're asking him those questions um you would like that you have a player that feels comfortable enough to kind of offer that up because they should value their opinion or if taylor doesn't feel like it's being blocked in the proper way you would want him to speak up too and just say hey you know i'm kind of thinking this on that play something like that but yeah i i I think it's something that you that you certainly look into all right we're gonna next question comes from a guy who has the greatest name on all of our lists his name is chris um, <laughs> he knows that the Colts primarily play nickel defense. When the Colts do play a base 4-3, who do you see being the number two primary corners? Kenny Moore on the uh, and, and on the outside, Stephon Gilmore. Yeah, right there. It, it would be those two, Kenny Moore and Stephon Gilmore. I think Brandon Faison I would label as your third corner right now. I'd probably put Isaiah Rogers at four. I know that's been a battle, and it probably will be ongoing. Uh, but I would say Kenny and um, Gilmore outside, and then mm-hmm. your third corner would be Faison coming on the field, therefore kicking Kenny Moore inside the slot, and then Isaiah Rogers would be your fourth. Okay. Question from Nate. Hey, Kevin, I wanted to ask the same question that he asked last year. Over under 35 sacks for the defense this year, and are the second-year guys going to make a jump? It would be a small improvement from the 32 sacks that the team had last year. But he wants to know what you think from Dio Dangbo and Quiddy Pay in terms of what they're going to do in year two. Personally, he can't wait to see those duo in action. Man, it's needed. It is needed, Nate. Um, can you imagine if you do get the second year jumps from Quiddy Pay and or Dio yeah. Dangbo? Just be massive, absolute massive. You know, as far as sack numbers. I- I might go a slight over. I think the rival of Yannick Ngakwe is something that deserves to be mentioned as well. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's just more consistent pressure. It's disruption of timing. You know, I'll go back to the Matt Eberflus stat that I thought was pretty damning that I don't think the Colts – I think the Colts glossed over too much in the Eberflus era was that completion percentage. If you look at the completion percentage 
of defenses over the last handful of years allowed. And the Colts were the worst in the NFL. I think it was like 69%, something like that. And you look at the win-loss records of those football teams, it is astonishing how much that is a stat that correlates more to winning than I think I initially thought. Basically, and just popping the film of the first drive of the season finale, if you want to gouge your eyes out, <laughs> you, you just need to for offer up some freaking resistance. Offer it up, you know. I I just, yeah, I just felt like that is such a problem. Um, too easy, way too easy. So the disruption of timing is that consistent four man pressure? Is it a little bit more press coverage? Is it a mixture of both? If you can get that, that to me outweighs almost what you would get in a sack number. Kevin, Brian has a personal kind of question for you. Okay. I'm nervous. Um, So a lot of Colts fans, he mentions, kind of started following the Colts football during the Manning era and the Manning years, which that's why he has a statue outside of the building, and that's why Lucas Oil is there. For you personally, since you're around the age of Andrew Luck, what was it like emotionally when you were in the building going through those eras, and how do you feel about it now? Ooh. Boy. Um, that is kind of deep. I, I'm a fan of sports. I love them. I love sports. Uh, I love greatness. I don't want Tom Brady to retire. I know it might sound weird to a lot of people. But I want people to chase greatness. I, I, I still want um, a bunch of people trying to dethrone a great great. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. Sure, I love up-and-comers, and I love people trying to create themselves on the big stage and establish themselves. And, you know, Tiger had the Jack Nicholas posters up in his room, and he's trying to strive for that. And, you know, Roy McElroy knows every Tiger award, and he's trying to strive for that. Like, I love that. Um so I, I I was sad because I felt like, man, that dude has a chance to be really, really good. He had just come off a year when he was the most improved player in the NFL. He'd just come off a year and when he said that he's never been that happy playing football as well. So you, you're confused. I think you're a little sad about it. Again, I'm being very selfish as a fan here. Um, and I hated it for our city. You know, I, I want our city to continue to experience things. I love, I feel like it's so fun when, you know, I was on Butler's campus the night that they made it to the national championship game. Like, I'll never forget that. Like, that Saturday night, they yeah. beat Michigan State. Draymond tries to hit the shot late, and Gordon Hayward's great defense, and, and they win that game. Um, like, that's just unbelievable. I mean, the night that IU beats Kentucky, and I'm on that campus, and whether it's, you know, I'm not going to act like I remember it, but I'm sure our city, when, you know, the Pacers clinched their spot to go to the finals, finally got over the hump there. And obviously when the Colts won the AFC Championship game and Marlon Jackson's interception, all of that. So um, very selfishly, I obviously hated it. Clearly, this dude um, was hurt. I mean, clearly. I mean, Andrew Luck loves football, loves it. Um, and so he had to be really impacted to want to give that up and I think luck would be the first to tell you nowadays it's impossible to replicate the feeling that he got out of football um, so I think 
you know, he obviously was was really really impacted by it. So I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for, Brian. But yeah, those are just kind of my emotions surrounding the whole thing. I've said this before. I really don't have an issue with the people booing. I, I you know, I know it's kind of like a hot topic, and maybe I shouldn't have brought it up. But um, first off, that is week whatever three quarter four of the preseason game the people left in the building of that hour are the die hardest of the die hard fans and i i'd venture to guess the booing was more due to like the shock and awe of like what he's right there on the sidelines this cannot be happening right now like i'm just booing to boo and Obviously, I think probably some beer influenced on it as well. <laughs> and there's like, whatever, like 500 people left in the building. If right. 30 people are booing, you're going to hear it more than you're not. Um, and then one thing I, I did think that luck handled poorly is I, I just thought the, I thought the timing of it was really bad in that, you know, you, you wait two weeks before the start of the season. The week before, you're out there on the field doing the pregame stuff like it's a Super Bowl and and I know that the Colts wanted, and Luck, they wanted to do the Friday press conference. I think Oliver Luck ran into, like, weather, plane issues. He couldn't get to Indy on time. They're going to do the Friday press conference. The game was on Saturday. Um, I mean, not that I'm sure people still would have booed. But anyways, um, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. Just kind of rambling, I guess, here. No, all good. Two more questions. This one. <laughs> oh, Gary, here we go. So What's which Gary ha- saying? So which happens first? Kevin changes his profile picture or CP gets his tattoo? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I know this one. Chris is sure as hell not getting that tattoo. <laughs> no, no. Here's the thing, Gary. It's easy for Kevin. He comes up with a different excuse every time. It's easy for Kevin to right-click and change a picture more than it is for me to get a tattoo. So it's probably going to be Kevin's photo. But I am going to get the tattoo. I promise. I promise. I promise. I will get the tattoo. I don't buy you that. don't believe it, do you? Are you bullshitting our listeners over there, Chris Presley? So I have I have a certain medical thing that I can't do anything with my feet right now. Well now you're making me feel bad for but, even saying that. But now but I will go inner lip Bill's tattoo. Inner lip, folks. Can you imagine? You see I got Chris it. Presley in a dark alley one night. He flashes <laughs> that at you. You were sprinting the just, other way. Just throw the lip down. Yeah. Last one comes from David. Coach Frank Reich says Matt Ryan wants to keep things simple, not trying to come up with something new, and he'd rather run the same thing over and over again. What do you think about the approach given the offenses of like a Kansas City, a San Francisco 49ers, or something like the Los Angeles Rams? Yeah, David, it's a good question. I, I think you may be simplifying it a little bit more. It's not like, you know, we're playing a video game here and because the bomb is working well and blitz, <laughs> you're going to keep on running it. I, greatest I, greatest play. Yeah, I'm shocked that hasn't made its way into NFL playbooks. But uh, I do think the old phrase of Matt Ryan finds simple better than most is a big phrase. That was the phrase last year with Sam Ellinger versus Jacob Eason. Um, now, again, I'm of the thinking that at some point you need to stuff vertically. Yes, you're going to take advantage of Jonathan Taylor and how many people are in the box and, and that stuff, but at some point you've got to test things down the field. So I do have a question about it. But to my earlier point is you're banking on Frank Reich's schematic ability. 
dialing up those play calls and the eyes of Matt Ryan to look off you know, certain defenders and make those proper reads to tap into stuff from a passing game standpoint. Um, so uh, I do think from a processing standpoint, the Colts should have one of the more dynamic head coach play calling quarterback you know, combinations in the entire NFL. How much of that can you do X's and O's, and how much of that can you do when it's time to go out there and play? Because at times last year, I thought there were points in games where not only was Carson Wentz struggling, I just felt like you just got owned from a defensive back wide receiver standpoint, and that obviously is really, really tough to overcome. All right, that does it for Twitter questions. Thank you so much to Chris Ballard for joining us. Anything else you want to add to the podcast, Kevin? No, I think that pretty much covers everything. I'm trying to take an early look at next week's schedule here. Um, Maybe shoot for another Monday or, uh, let's see, the Colts practice Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, again on Sunday, again on Monday. Hopefully nothing too crazy happens with that Monday practice, I guess. Yeah, maybe maybe shoot for a Monday pod. Okay. as well so he's chris Presley. i'm kevin bowen everybody have a great week thank you for listening to kevin's corner again 1075thefan.com i've got daily notebooks from every camp practice and our youtube page as well um i believe i hope we're uploading some videos from practice over there too um so yeah everybody have a great week we'll talk to you next week on kevin's corner this has been kevin bowen thank you for listening to another edition of kevin's corner if you haven't already subscribe on itunes or stitcher for the best colts and pacers coverage